0: a podcast one production So this is about 5 years ago friend of mine had come to town, an investor, a venture capitalist. He'd done very well for himself, probably worth in the range of like a hundred million dollars. And he'd come to Sydney for an investment event. And I took him out to drinks. We went to the footy and then we went for some more drinks. And somewhere around three o'clock in the morning, after a fair bit of whiskey, that's when the truth telling began. He confided his deepest fears to me of a robot uprising. I'm not making this up. He was absolutely, utterly, deeply convinced that at some point in the near future, AI would rise up in an overwhelming singularity that would spell doom for the human race. In other words, the Terminator. Now, I tried to coax him away from what I felt and I still feel is a baseless paranoia. But he remained convinced He asked me what my plans were to protect myself and my loved ones when, inevitably, the time came. And I basically just hand-waved my way through a reply, mostly because I was absolutely surprised. I had not seen that coming. But I could also see that evening that he lost a bit of respect for me because I didn't see the catastrophe coming. I had a different view of the road ahead. Today I'm Mark Pesci. The coming next billion seconds are the most important in human history as technology transforms the way we live and work. On this third series, we continue our conversations with some of the brightest minds shaping our world, charting our path as we voyage into an incredible future. We speak with writer, philosopher, and fellow futurist Douglas Rushkoff about the world we've made for ourselves and how we can transform the years ahead into a journey toward becoming more thoroughly human on this episode of The Next Billion Seconds. History is written by the winners. The future is written by the storytellers, those who can inspire with a vision of the possible and get folks moving in that direction. The present That's another story altogether. We live our lives on a kind of battlefield, and it has been noted that reality is the place where rival gangs of storytellers fought to a standstill. So it's quite important to find those storytellers at work behind the scenes telling the tales that spin into reality, and few have done this better than Douglas Rushkoff. Over 20 books, from Siberia to the recently published Team Human, Doug has reminded us and more than occasionally cajoled us into remembering that this is all a stage, that we are all players, and if we're going to have to act well, we need to have it written to our contracts that we have script approval. Doug, welcome to The Next Billion Seconds. Oh,
1: thanks for having me. That's so funny. You know, uh, the world's a stage and we're but players and all. That was the, I use that as a quote in my high school Yearbook, And I I was always embarrassed about it later, but now I'm proud of it because you've just contextualized the last 40 years of living.
0: Exactly, well, yes, and script approval, exactly. Okay, so let's start by going back. You know, you have this arc from Siberia now into Team Human, and it's been a conversation around us, human beings and technology, and what that means for us and what that means
1: has been done to us. Let's try to take a look through that territory first. In some ways I've come full circle. Mm-hmm. Finally. I mean that's why I I'm looking at Team Human as my last book mm-hmm. because I, I kinda ended up where I where I started, except with experience instead of innocence. You know, I, you know
0: the ground for the first time.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I I thought we were about to experience a true discontinuity. That something something genuinely new was happening with, with digital technology and, and being able to talk to each other through the TV instead of just listening. And, and that that would initiate a process by which everybody started to see the institutions and codes and languages and stories we've been living by as social constructions, mm-hmm. as up for discussion and change and and whether you knew how to code or not you could you, you didn't have to know python to recode reality you know and it didn't even take you didn't have to take dmt or anything either you just had to say what is this stuff in my pocket it is not money it is paper you know and then everything opens what i didn't realize was that there was this thing called corporate capitalism which really knows how to inhabit any of these spaces that we create and knows how to turn them into uh, uh, extractive, dehumanizing tools of of repression.
0: But I guess part of that lesson is that we are not, Perfect. We are not angels, you know. Our behavior is not perfect, and that there are always forces that are around that will tempt to run a cheat, will run an exploit, will put in the cheat code, and you know, try to squirrel away with either our attention or our money or our belief or whatever. And in some ways, that's the same story through all human history. But in some ways, that's also now happening on a scale that it's never happened before.
1: Right you know and that a lot of that's what what i guess the the big discovery i had in in writing this book was that oh this is the same thing happen with language you know before language people couldn't lie they could kind of point wrong but you couldn't tell a lie until you could speak you know it wasn't until we had text that the first thing text was used for was to keep track of people's slaves. you know. And then, you know, you look at each invention, you know, r- radio, which started as interactive ham radio, became Hitler's tool for domination. And then China's television, which we all thought was going to be the great educator, turned into it, created consumer society and, and stoked demand for products when there really is no organic demand for this stuff. And so why should the net... Have been any different, but you're right. What what we do is, we we interpret humans. I think our great human strengths the 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 our ability to contend with paradox or mm-hmm. to to embrace ambiguity or to wonder or to go into a state of awe or to want connection with others. Each of these uh, uh, well honed. Uh, uh evolved human drives and traits is also ripe soil for an exploit
0: because you mean you talk about spectacle right and we we talk about the fact that things are spectacular now because that is the way that you get awe and this whole feeling and it's it's the fake it's it's the simulation of awe it's not the actual awe of oh my gosh this is mysterious like when i was face to face with mountain gorillas In Rwanda a few years ago, and it was an hour, right? But there was that feeling of awe and wonder for that hour, and it was absolutely authentic because here I am confronted with someone, someone, and I want to say that, who's basically roughly as intelligent, maybe not quite as intelligent as me, but roughly, Mm -hmm. you know, and you you can see it. You can see it in them. You can see it in their eyes. You also know that if they thought about it, they could rip you limb from limb, and they choose not to. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of, and there's nothing spectacular about that, but there's something awesome about that versus some spectacular, whether it's a movie or a politician or whatever, that's using all of the theater
1: to mm. give you that feeling. Right, I mean, and that's why you know, and I got really interested for a while in um, things like neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis and all, and saying, "Oh, look how manipulative and horrible those people are." But then you look at what they're doing, and all they're doing is consciously using natural traits. You know, so you know, as I speak, you nod, and then my mirror neurons fire, and oxytocin goes through my body, and then my pupils enlarge, and then you enjoy me more, and we establish rapport and all that. That's beautiful. But once we know that, Tony Robbins can come along and say. All you need to do when he's talking is just start to nod a little bit and that's going to activate this in him and then you're going to be, then you're going to have him.
0: Some of that is that, you know, I guess it works when there's an asymmetry, when you know this and I don't, Mm. right? When I walk into the car showroom and you know how to sell me a car because you know how to mirror me as I'm asking questions and all of this. Are we going to see a world where, whether it's with an artificial intelligence or just because I've been well informed enough that there's a small voice whispering in my ear, Mark, you may or may not like this person, but just note how they're talking, note how they're moving, and then does that create some space for me to be able to make up my own mind rather than being simply prey of my own desires in the way that I
1: am. I mean, it can. This is sort of what the... the but coercion was about. I was looking at the arms race between people and those who would manipulate them. And the impulse is when you see someone using a technique on you is to then parry and come back at them then with, it, with your own little assault. And all right, so I'm, you know, this, this that you're in battle. And what I'm finding now is it's, it's almost better to, to the, 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 the weapon we have is peace. You know, the weapon mm. we have is, Oh, you know, to look at that person and see them and say, oh, wow, this person needs something. They they're they're really working hard here. Wow. What are they afraid of? What do they think? What do they think that I don't know that they, you know, and.
0: That, why, why are they being motivated out of this raw need that is so, so present?
1: right, and how can I see and what is the need they have that's beneath that that's actually driving this bizarre behavior that what they're trying to do and while it's hard for you know a young black man being assaulted by a cop in the street, it's hard for them to take on that attitude of oh, what's not on in with, real time certainly. what's going on with this poor man? Why is he beating me? What is he afraid of? But you know we can do it. Um, and where I'm finding great—not uh, uh, joy, but uh, fruit—is in doing it for, say, Donald Trump. Doing it for the the people that are 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 leading, I guess, some of this some of this assault. Say, what what is wrong? And um, luckily, you know, because. They think I'm a futurist rather than a presentist. Whatever, um, let them think what they need to think at this point. I'm not going to correct anybody. Um, the, and the, this
0: podcast will do nothing to correct yeah, exactly. that. Either. That's
1: fine. That's fine. No, presentism is a form of future. If you know what's going on, you've got a much better chance of knowing what's going to happen next than if you're just so focused on the future that you can't that you can't see. But it's gotten me in the room with with CEOs and politicians and people who are acting out of this sort of base fear and, and to try to help either understand them for myself or to transform what they're going through. And they are human beings. They're just so afraid. Even those, you know, those billionaires I famously spoke with who, you know, had their designs on the end of the world. Tell us
0: that story, because I think that that story, which our listeners probably won't have heard, we will link to your writing about this, but tell us that story, because I think that story is very
1: illuminating. Well, you know, I get, like you, I get invited to do these talks and and money talks. I mean, I'll fly far away if there's like 10,000 bucks or 20,000 bucks or something. And like, this oh was my a lot God. more than
0: that on the table was this it? was
1: more this was as much as I've gotten for like all my books it's like it was insane um, so yeah so I went out to this resort and it was a weird. I mean, this. I guess this part of the story doesn't matter to anybody else. So you can always cut it. But it was this weird mountaintop resort place where people stay in these little cabins. And like a company or a group, they'll, they'll rent out the whole place. And I didn't see anybody. I'm just there for a day like alone going in my cabin. On top and, of your mountain. On top of my mountain. And then finally they tell me where to go. And I go into this little place. And it's this green room for me to prepare for the talk. And I hadn't even seen the auditorium or whatever. And um, it turns out there was no talk that these five billionaires are brought into the green room and they sit around this little table with me and they start peppering me with these questions like um, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, 3D printing or augmented reality. It's like as if where to place their bets. And I don't know if they're just testing to see, you know, but eventually they got to um, like New Zealand or Alaska. So they wanted to know, you know, where do I put my bunker for the apocalypse? And we ended up spending uh, the majority of the hour on the single question, how do I maintain control of my security force after the event? Right.
0: And the event being the collapse the,
1: right the 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 electromagnetic pulse or you know collapse or whatever, whatever it is. is. yeah.
0: So they all, in, in a sense, these people he would think would have no worries are intensely concerned about some singular event that will separate them from their power. Right. And they're just completely obsessive about how do I maintain my security blanket, that billion dollar security blanket across that discontinuity in
1: right. power. How do I insulate myself from the world I'm creating by earning the money I'm earning in order to insulate myself from the world? They're just stuck in this loop.
0: Thank you for putting that as clearly as I've actually ever heard it put. Okay, so, so that's and and I guess you could think of that as you got a good exam, a, a good view into the extreme example here, right? Of of what happens when there are these unexamined parts of our being, because to think of them as being less captured. By capitalism, or less prey to capitalism, is to misunderstand what's really going, and yes, they've done very well by it. yes, they have lives of luxury and all of this. but they also have these lives of intense anxiety. Right and and I think this is part of what people don't understand because they worship money and they think being a billionaire will solve all of their problems and all of this and in fact it gives you a very different set of problems such as I have the security force and how do I keep them from turning their guns on me which is literally what they're asking right but the
1: weird thing was each of the strategies that they were coming up with were were. Uh, dominating in some way. You know, from, from well, I'll be the only one with the combination to the safe that has all of the food in it. And I'm like, dude, you do not want to be that person. That <laughs> exactly. You do not want to be the single
0: point of failure. Right? Because they will torture you and they will get that information out of you and then they will have the food.
1: Right. And I was trying to tell them about history, that if you're depending on your generals for your power, the generals are going to do a coup. They're going to take over. There's no reason why they wouldn't. And then I did so I was trying to flip them to say, well, look, I think the best way for them to uh, be loyal to you after the event is you be really, really nice to them before the event. Pay for their kids bar mitzvahs, you know, or what? I don't know. Security or guys, education or, or education, whatever, whatever. Right. Make them your friend now, you know, spoil them. But then by extension. What if you're nice to the world in general, so they're not going to be storming your gates and trying to take you down? Or what if you actually and spend your energy making the world a place where this bad thing's not going to happen?
0: And so the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation which now has Buffett in it, right? So, And, and it's interesting because Gates has followed exactly the path that Rockefeller followed, which was mm. to fund medicine. So there's no hookworm in the world because of Rockefeller. There may very well be very little malaria in the world in a couple of years because of... Gates.
1: Yes and no. I mean, the problem is that he's employing these sort of one-size-fits-all, top-down techno-solutionist philosophy. So, you know, you end up with stories like, oh, we just need to have, you know, mosquito nets for the kids in Africa, and we know how that one ended up. That the people used the mosquito nets to try to catch fish, and it turned out that they had anti-mosquito poison on them, and they poisoned the streams in which their fish lived. Oops. So, it's really hard. If you extract the money and resources from some place. It's really hard for Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates or someone to then to say, oh, I'm just going to shove it all back in there. You know, that, especially as uh, laissez-faire libertarian capitalists, they're the the first people that should realize you can't destroy a marketplace and then just fix it with an infusion of cash.
0: And we're talking to Douglas Rushkoff, futurist slash presentist, on the next billion seconds. Sorry, Doug. We we can see the landscape. We kind of know what has broken in the world, right? And it's, you know, every culture, every time, every civilization has had its dilemmas, has had its problems. We are no different and in some ways no better and no worse than any of them. So I don't think we need to beat ourselves with a stick because that's probably not going to help. But at the same time, we can take a look at how we may want to start thinking about not just our problems, but the way we are in the world, that is going to be helpful. So what is giving you hope? Because I know that despite all of this, I know that you're an optimist. Um, So what can we start to think about? How do we want to start to think about a truly human civilization for the middle years of the 21st century?
1: Well, I feel like people are becoming aware of the fact that we have to try to stop... Optimizing humanity for digital capital and instead optimize technology for human flourishing. So people are becoming aware that, oh, social media is optimized to make me see the other as an enemy, Mm -hmm. to polarize me. What would it take for social media to make me see my enemy as a person, as a human being? With depth. Right. Not difficult. It's just a different, it's just a different tweak. It's just a different tilt. You know, what the uh, business plans are really look at human beings as the enemy to a company scaling up properly, because any humans you have in your company is, is people you have to insure and heat and pay. You know, if it's just a, a can't we replace him with another algorithm? They don't want anything from us. right. They're just, they just go. Um, Instead, instead of that, you know, seeing seeing human beings as the the vital resource, as the the source of creativity in what you're doing, instead the of the gold
0: mine, that they're actually the gold and the gold mine, not the gold you're taking out of the gold
1: mine. Right, right. They've they, they've got it. They've got it reversed. How do you start to see human beings as the solution rather than the problem? And it's a tricky one because I don't think I think the things that we're looking at as human human uh, human faults are actually in many ways, human strengths, they just, they get amplified.
0: Part of what I hear when I hear this conversation, because I've heard this framed a little bit differently from a couple of different people, is almost as though we are in this massive horde of jewels, and we can't, which is all of the people and all of our skills and all of our capacities, and we can't see that. Right. So that since we can't see that, we keep on looking elsewhere and we keep on digging for for gold. That's in the cave somewhere. But but you're ignoring all of the jewels on all of the capacity of that.
1: I think the reason why we can't see the jewels is because we've mistaken this moment for a revolution when it's actually a renaissance. Mm -hmm. And they're two profoundly different things. Mm -hmm. And this was what I had realized kind of in Siberia, but didn't really have, uh, uh, I couldn't articulate it and didn't have the evidence. But a a revolution is where you just flip the script. You just turn everything over. A renaissance is the rebirth of old ideas in a new context. So I'm not, people think I'm anti-digital or anti-tech. Not at all. I'm pro-technology. I just don't want us to build a technological future without retrieving the human values that we're leaving behind. You know, so both you and I, we started out we were the first people to describe the digital future to people who are living in the analog world. Right. And now I feel like we're the last ones who remember the value of analog reality and we're trying to convince digital people to bring those values forward. I'm not saying we go back to the analog era, but we look at what are the values that we want to retrieve, bring forward and embed in the digital future and the way we find those i mean and this is where it just starts to sound so new age but it's really it's said that it's contextualized that way but to sit with people look in their eyes breathe together if you're breathing together conspire with another person to breathe, conspire to breathe right, together be in the conspiracy and and that initiates everything that's why the 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 kind of the logo on the back of the team human book is find the others. And most people think, I mean, find the others who are just like you in your little tribe It's like, no, 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 no. Find the others. Find the other. Right. Right. Cause the others, there's a, there's a person there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we have that need and I think it's, I guess it's a civilizational need to find the other And if we can start to have, I guess, a nuanced conversation with them so that we aren't just sort of posing it as me versus you or this or that. If we're human beings are are never good, historically are never good at dealing with situations of dilemmas of, you know, you want X, I want Y, and these are not easily reconcilable we tend to resort to throwing our weight around or our power or trying some sort of trick so that we can assert something. And yet, the future of the 21st century, if there's going to be billions of people in that future, is really about living in dilemma, living in a continuous state where things are not completely to your liking. Because guess what? That's, that's the deal. How do we get ourselves comfortable with the fact of... Just my life's not going to be perfect. It's going to be okay. It's going to be good, but it's not going to be perfect.
1: Part of it is we've got to accept that the intellectual philosophical path that we've been on for the last thousand years, it's kind of brought us to the wrong place. That that, that Hegel was wrong. That that in
0: that, the sense of this perfectibility. Yeah,
1: in the sense, in the, in that that we should create dialectics and arguments and then someone wins.
0: Yeah, that. and someone loses. And there's an election right there and then there's a civil war and then you've reset yep. it and there's and another which argument. Side and all that. And the, yeah. That
1: doesn't work. And I'm much more into, you know, the... the you know, what I hear coming out of, say, the kids at Lumio in New Zealand, where they're arguing that, no, 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 the the way you build consensus is to just create consent. Who's going to be really, really screwed over if we make this decision? Okay, how can we change it to make you not be totally screwed? And that's very different than someone getting to be all right. You know, and then it's moving, it's also, you know...
0: Uh, uh, there's just these processes, though, the process of consensus, the process of consent, these are slow because they're human. Right? Mm. Humans are slow. And it's really funny because I think slow has been a dirty word. And I think it's being less of a dirty word now. But it looks like that future is a mixture of fast and slow in a way that's very different than maybe we saw 30 years
1: ago. Yeah. Different things happen at different scales, but human, individual humans operate on a particular scale. And when you try to operate as a individual on the scale of civilization or on the scale of the nation state, you end up uh, uh, disconnected from the sort of the core values and instincts that you could use to function. So that's why, you know, just now I've been thinking a lot about the difference between the nation-state as the sort of the prime actor on the global stage and the city-state. Right.
0: And we've had this conversation with Jess Scully, on this, who's a councillor for the city of Sydney, mm. which again, Australia's vast empty continent with several city-states in it, right? Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and they really do function like this. So we see this
1: emerging even. Right. Well, it's because cities are a bottom-up phenomenon from people living together and growing. There's a There's an Human human organisms happen in cities. the way termites happen in mounds and bees happen in hives. A city is like a thing like that. So it can make choices. The interesting thing is, at least in the US, it's sort of city people versus country people. It's a hard one, but then how do you how do you uh, how do you reconcile those is sort of
0: Well, that's the other you're looking for, right? You actually want to find your other in the country or if you're in the country, find your other in the
1: city. Right. Right. And the other thing that people, People in the country have to come to grips with the fact that the country didn't exist before the city. Right. It was, it was just all just stuff. the thing.
0: <laughs> it was all just the thing. Right. <laughs>
1: that these are both constructions. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. And and that there has to be some way to let these the faster culture of the city and the slower culture of the country because in some ways it's the fast versus the slow. That they need to be able to coexist and that they will always have some elements of friction around them. I want to tie this in with something that you had mentioned in passing before we did this interview, which is around AI, which is an archetypical technology of the fast versus the human, which is slow and that we're developing some frames for it. And if you want to sort of drop the meme that you dropped on me a little early, I think it's beautiful.
1: I mean, I feel bad for AIs. I mean, I, I identify with them on <laughs> one level and that I feel like in some ways in the, in, in the way that the AIs are the, the the face mm. of corporate America. Mm. They are the face of those who would extract value from us. Right. And Whether we're that's starting to
0: Facebook or Right. So, we're recognizing it's those
1: damn AIs that in some ways the AIs are like the new Jews. You know, that the Jews were sent to do the tax collecting yes. for the rich. The Jews didn't have land. So they ended up being given all of this dirty work. And people just started really hating the Jews. When you saw the Jew, it's like, oh no, they want my money, they want right. my this, they want my that. And I feel like, you know, AIs are are starting to serve that same role and what that made me realize though is because I have this knee-jerk reaction against AIs it's not the AIs it's not them at all
0: it's how they're being used it's
1: their bosses yeah yeah you know and we can make an AI we can we can make them do such great things you know we could we could invest in Uh, The improvement of everything. uh,
0: You know, it's become very clear to me, and and, and this is coming through my other podcast, that in fact, this is enormous space for wellness. Yes. Every one of us should have an AI whose sole job in life is to help us to be well, to remind us to be well, to nudge us. To be well, to be more human, Mm. right? And I don't think that that day is actually very far away. I really don't. But again, I don't think you're going to see any of these large organizations that are profiting from making us less human
1: put them out there. And when you talk about it that way, I mean, AIs really can be a partner in an evolutionary leap. And that's when I go back to like Korzybski and he talked about, you know, plants bind Energy. They bind the energy of the sun and yeah. turn it into themselves. Yeah. Animals bind um, space because they can run around and and get the energy from all different plants all over in a field. Humans learn to bind time mm. because we could teach our children something that took generations to learn. And then AIs. Because eat, they're all interacting with us and then communicating with each other about what they learn from each one of us. AIs are binding us. Mm-hmm. AIs are binding humanity. Mm-hmm. And that can either be a bind, you know, or, Again, you, yeah. you know, it can actually allow us to, to begin to attain organismic wisdom. You know, it doesn't mean we all know each other's thoughts, but now we can all benefit from everybody oh, else's experience. I don't experience. know. If
0: you've been on Twitter, you know that we can know each other's thoughts. It's just that, in fact, that turned out to be a lot more problematic
1: yeah. than we'd expect. I don't want to know what they're thinking, but that's not what people are really thinking. That's what they're spitting up. Well, it's, yeah, okay, yes. No,
0: you're you're right. You're right. It's the part that's overflowing from the lava pool. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, cognitive right
1: surplus. It.
0: But there is that. There is that thought, and I, I like this metaphor of the AI's AI binding the humans because it does have those two elements. Because you have this element of a Facebook, which is l- watching you, profiling you, developing an emotional model of you, and then using that to bind you in the negative sense, right?
1: And everybody else. Yes.
0: And everybody else to literally bind you as if with 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 strings, with with ropes, into a particular relationship, versus the other kind of binding the religare, right, which is to bring together. Mm-hmm. In, in, in that sense, it was to, in a religious unity, but to bring together in a unity right. around something, that there is also that possibility being open. And I guess then the question is, and this will be my closing question for you, is how do you as the storyteller of the present spin that tale to inspire the bright people of today to create that future over the next billion seconds.
1: That what we have to learn is it's not about being less afraid or more afraid of the AIs. We have to learn to be less afraid of one another. Now we've got such deeply programmed fear. And some of it took you know hundreds of thousands of years I just saw the 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 re-release of 2001 Kubrick Space Odyssey and there are these scenes where they're the kind of the monkey people at the beginning there's this one scene where they're sitting at night next to this little cliff and their eyes are they should be sleeping but their eyes are open and they're awake because they hear this growling something out there
0: it's a leopard yes. A le- and
1: I thought how many nights have humans stayed awake like that for how many thousands thousands and thousands of years until we made ourselves feel safe. But we don't. That fear is still in there. And now we we either experience that fear of one another and the fear... That fear is being leveraged and, and specifically, intentionally targeted in order to keep human beings from forging solidarity with each other so that value can be extracted and we buy lots of stuff and we want to insulate ourselves from one another like the billionaires do. So if we can reduce our level of fear of other people, um, then we're, we're on the road to solidarity and to uh, experiencing everything else that's going on around us as excuses to to be bound to one another rather than as as uh, deliberate attempts to bind us uh, to, to a sinking ship.
0: Doug Rushkoff, thank you so much for joining us on The Next Billion Seconds.
1: Thank you. May there be a next billion seconds.
0: Not long ago, I was very lucky to participate in a session of the Audiocraft
1: Podcasting
0: Festival, The theme for our session was podcasts from the year 2062, and the first group of podcasters who took to the stage, they they normally do a history podcast. But they turned the tables and they told the story of coverage of an archaeological exploration of a pre-transition dwelling found underground in New Zealand. And at the end of their very wry satire, it became clear that this large underground facility, which could have housed hundreds and hundreds of people, it held the skeleton of a single dead billionaire still clutching his iPhone. It was an interesting reminder that on Team Human, the real choice before us is to hang together or hang separately. If you'd like to learn more about Doug Rushkoff or his new book, Team Human, Click on our link to our website at thenextbillionseconds.com in the episode description. It has everything you'll want to take a deeper dive into our future. And has our conversation gotten you to thinking about what you'd tell a small gathering of paranoid billionaires? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Drop by our website. Leave us a message on LinkedIn. Tell us what you want to know about the future. We'll do our best to bring it to you in a future episode. In our next episode, we'll bring you the penultimate in series three of The Next Billion Seconds, a conversation with neuroscientist and ethicist Dr. Fiona Kerr, who gives us some very clear directions in a very confusing digital world. Big thanks to Doug Rushkoff for coming on our show. Thanks to Civic Hall in New York City for allowing us to use their space for our interview. The Next Billion Seconds was written and presented by Mark Pesci, created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia producer Alex Mitchell, and sound production Darcy Thompson. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app, or search The Next Billion Seconds on Apple Podcasts. This is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.